I talk about listening skills as being incredibly important. So the best way to influence change is to listen. Good professional communication is a performance. What's the key message? Who are you trying to communicate to? And what do you want them to get out of it? Just asking those questions often will get you in a better place. Sometimes you're just keeping up. You know, yeah. you're just getting through day to day and trying to, you know, get the next thing over. People come line. in with an order, don't they? Yeah. Rather than a like, problem. You know, I want a podcast or I want yeah. a webinar as opposed to. Need a video. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> needs a video these days. It may not be the right thing, but. It's reality. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to GovComs, but this time an episode with a difference. This is the 2022 Reality Megamix. My name's David Pembroke, and thanks for joining me. This is a podcast that examines the practice of communication in government and the public sector, and in this episode, you will hear some of the voices that have been featured during this last year. And in this episode, you'll be hearing more from them and from a few more as we talk challenges, fundamentals and solutions. For many of my guests through the year, the practice of GovComs has been viewed through the prism of COVID and its impact on what we do. Stephanie Speck is the new Chief of Communications and Experience at the Department of transport in Victoria. I think we need to move away from BAU plus COVID. Hmm. BAU is COVID now. There is no going back to normal. We are in the next normal uh, and systemic complex risk that we have to deal with. But there may just be a silver lining or two for the industry as Melanie Gibbons, who is both the principal of Elm Communications and the leader of the International Association of Business Communications here in Canberra, as Melanie explained. I think there is uh, an increasing demand for communicators. And I I hope that COVID's kind of had a role in that. You know, maybe that's one of the great things that came out of having a pandemic for communicators is that our role is actually much more appreciated. People all of a sudden saw the benefit of internal communications and great employee comms and having to communicate really clearly to the public. You must remember this. But whatever the day, today challenges of the moment, something's never change, having stood the test of time. As time goes by. Tim Price, a whiz who's the digital content and social media manager at the Federal Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet acknowledges the importance of the fundamentals. I really feel like uh, modern digital communication, it's, it's still got the elements of storytelling which have existed for thousands of years. Like humans want to connect with other humans and we connect through stories. And so I'm still applying those, those sort of core elements and essence in, in social media or in modern communication. I still think I'm doing that. And, and that all started from that just love of stories and reading books and, and different characters, different 
humans you connect with, the, the world around us. Do you think it gets lost in this day and age as we as we pursue perhaps the latest hack that may may work in a particular environment or we look to capitalise on a, a short-term meme? Do you think that that consistency and that classical storytelling gets lost in digital in pursuit of the short-term uh, return? It definitely can be. I think... I think the thing that's really changed, and especially maybe in the last five or six years, is people's attention span. And so that kind of storytelling becomes harder and harder. Um, you might have had a bit more time previously, even within social media, to get someone's attention and tell a story. And now you've got just no time and people are bombarded with content um, and there's so many things thrown at them. And, and people people's attention spans, I think, are getting shorter and shorter. And so unless you unless you get the attention very early on, you won't get a chance to tell a story. Tim Price, a digital expert who values the importance of story. And Deb Rice, who has told many tales over the years while working at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation and elsewhere. She's now the content strategy and editorial lead at the Office of the eSafety Commissioner here. In Australia. She also supports the notion that whatever the platform, it's the narrative that counts. Because the platforms will change. The, the way you get out to the audience will change. Where you house your material will change. Well, we have websites, I don't know. But the principles of, of speaking to people and stopping and, and, and making sure you're not um, assuming knowledge that others don't have I think is a really uh, powerful uh, ability to have no matter what industry you're in or, or, you know, what you're trying to communicate. The the importance of the principles of a well-structured piece of information which is clear but concise enough um, that people who live very, very busy lives are likely to be engaged enough that they might come back to later to investigate more. Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid of change. Embrace the change and think about how exciting it might be to have yet another platform. Embracing change comes with its own set of ticking time bombs. Pursuing the latest shiny object may not, according to Melanie Gibbons, be the best way to go. What I think we need to do is go back to basics because we've gotten quite caught up in social media and creativity and video production and animation and delivering all the big shiny things, which I think are amazing. But what we know is that trust in government has decreased and continues to decrease. While Stephanie Speck cautions against running away from the big shiny things, she argues that their potential should be considered thoughtfully and carefully. Everyone is online, so government cannot afford to be disconnected. Sometimes there's a perspective that being on social media is a risk. You know, people might say that they don't like what the government's doing. People might um, defame the government or defame other people. But I think it's actually more of a risk if you don't operate compellingly in the social media space. Um, And for me, that means thinking about how do you manage community engagement and dialogue using the tools that we have, not just putting one-way messages and and closing comments, but how do you actually engage and talk with citizens? One standout in 2000 
and 22 in the application of effective communication and engagement with citizens was from the Australian Electoral Commission. The AEC had a social media and content strategy ready to go ahead of Australia's national election. It had seen and was concerned about the risks of mis- and disinformation in other democracies and decided that it needed to be ready and it needed to be able to speak clearly and directly with citizens. There was a risk in terms of institutional reputation and reputation to the integrity of elections in Australia. But sticking with business as usual, comms carried existential risk for Australia's democratic system. Evan Eakin-Smith is the Australian Electoral Commission's Director of Media and Digital Engagement. And we did two episodes uh, going through the experience of the Australian Electoral Commission. And in my humble opinion, it's a must listen for all government communicators because it helps for us to see into what is coming in the future for all government departments and agencies. Here's a taste. We started something called AEC TV um, and we didn't get people from outside in to say, hey, these are the experts. We got our people to stand up, sometimes reluctantly. (laughs) Um, With that crippling fear of public speaking. Yeah, yeah, that that fear that I was talking about. And it's probably why you saw me and a few more than I would have liked to have been. Some people were very reluctant. But we got our experts, our people running the process to stand up. How important was that? Oh, critical. Absolutely critical. Um, Because these are the people that know it best. And for us to be able to explain it in that medium in very short uh, because people's attention spans aren't, aren't great these days, in very short form. Um, uh, it worked really well for us. It's a completely in-house, cheap, free and quick, um, which is really important because we can produce, if there's an issue running, and we did this during the election, you turn around, you whip up to the studio, you say some lines in front of a camera, you edit it up, you can have it out within the hour. You just have to have a go, really. Um, I mean, some of the first videos that we did, and I think a couple of them are up on YouTube, you look back at them now and you go... GB's the lighting on that. Well, that's it. That's yeah. it. But, but the message was right, you know. So the content yeah. was always right and we've just tweaked our approach a little bit and we've learned a little bit along the way. And it also, it's not just for creating that short-form video as well. I mean, the material that we have for our AEC TV studio is the same material that I did countless Zoom interviews uh, with media representatives on as well. Um, so it helps in that regard. Fast. Accurate messaging paid off for the Australian Electoral Commission whenever questions in good or bad faith came into the public space. Aesthetically, it may have been a little rough around the edges, not always perfect, not always uh, polished, but Evan admits that it was no shiny thing to start with. But in the end, does that actually matter? Well, that's something that you have to think about carefully in terms of the needs of your audience? Is it the information that they need or is it the design experience that they're looking for? It depends. The more you do though, in terms of content, the better you get. As former ABC News presenter, Richard Moorcroft told me during the year. If you wanted to improve your golf swing or your tennis swing or your swimming stroke or whatever it was, you wouldn't have any hesitation in 
actually working on those things. There would be no self-consciousness about that. People are often very self-conscious about trying to make themselves look and sound better or, uh, you know, look at some of those, those practicalities, but they're very much just part of what should be a professional toolkit for anybody who takes their communication of important matters in the workplace or in other forums seriously. Um, and, uh, and if you make a commitment to working on that, it can make a huge difference. And in terms of getting better, there's no shame in working on how you perform. Good professional communication is a performance, but sometimes we think of, of performance in a, you know, in a pejorative way, as though that's a bad thing. And the thing about performance is that if it is genuine and a reflection of the message that you genuinely feel and want to communicate, then the performance component of that is just the way in which you manage to achieve that task most effectively. Another of my guests this year is Ben Roberts, the Director of Communication with Cushman and Wakefield, who works in the Australian Department of Defence. And he was another who talked about the need for continuous improvement. And one of his bugbears concerns the basic tools of our trade, the written word. I must admit, I have been surprised in some places um, that I've worked where um, I've encountered people who work in comms that aren't great writers. And I'm always kind of surprised about how that would be, how you would come to be a comms person if you weren't a confident, clear communicator. Um, so engaging with your content, um, you know, reading a lot of material, reading lots of different books, doesn't really matter what genre they are. Um, is really important for a writer because it exposes you to a greater vocabulary. So certainly trying to expand your vocab, but also understanding when you should be using a 10 cent word and not a $10 word is pretty important. Getting the words right, getting the delivery right, and getting the performance right is just part of an equation which solves the challenge of effective communication. Another, according to Tasmanian-based author and strategist Melinda Maddox, is sitting still and paying attention. I talk about uh, listening skills as being incredibly important. So the best way to influence change is to listen. So to um, quietly observe what's going on and understand what's going on and listen to the people you're communicating with. The other lesson is don't sleepwalk. So stay awake, pay attention, especially to the power dynamics that are going on around you. Really be curious about that. And then the other key bit of advice is create allies, make friends, build your relationships. When you're in a meeting and you, you, know, you can sit there, you've got the opportunity to observe, take the minutes of the unspoken. So the unspoken's in uh, where people sit, what the body language is like, who's who's talking the most, who's chairing and why, who are they listening to. There's power dynamics in every relationship and especially where we, we come together as strangers to get things done. I love that phrase of, you know, don't sleepwalk because I think so many times we go into meetings and we're not active, we're just passive. We just sit there and we listen, we don't think about it. So how do, you, how do you get people to activate this curiosity and act, activate this interest so that they can better understand the dynamics? 
It's a great word, curiosity, and I think it's as simple as that. Take your curiosity to work. Um, there's a great phrase I also use in workshops, which is practice curiosity over judgment. So we have the experts marshaled, their delivery tweaked, and the words perfectly calibrated. And we've listened intently. All is well. But not necessarily if the we is just me. Deb Rice says everyone in the team has to be on the same page. Not only is information power, it makes good business sense. So what we did is brought together a um, an office-wide meeting uh, where we actually look at the content production and design schedule. So the, the um, so we could ensure that everyone in the office knew what we were putting out. And there's also a, a column there for the marketing team and a column there for the media and communications team. So they've got line of sight right from the beginning on a resource. Um, you know, I, I think I think it's been that attitude until a few years ago that what you did was you developed a, a report, say, for instance, um, you might have developed it as a print report and it's just a downloadable PDF. There, your job's done. That's it. But now we make sure that everyone from the very beginning, the, the inception of those, is thinking about, okay, once it gets onto the website, how should it be promoted through the website? Where are we going to, you know, how are people going to find it on the website? What promotion do we need in terms of social media, in terms of EDMs, in terms of, um you know, the, the media that might be uh, applicable to that? Is it large scale enough to, to justify that? Is it worth a speech by the commissioner? Um, so, so that's been a really valuable exercise for everyone because we can all see what everyone else is doing in the different teams um, and understand how it comes together and why it comes together. And then once you've got that right, it's the sell or the pitch to your client. I asked Tim Price how he goes about that. How do you sell the value proposition of a, a digital content and social media manager in those types of environments? What's your pitch? <laughs> Hi, my, I'm Tim my, and I'm here to help. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> it often starts with, um, so, so if you're... What's the key message? Who are you trying to communicate to? And what the, do you want them to get out of it? Just asking those questions often will get you in a better place. Um, and and I, I guess I win by being able to assist in that and, and get that greater engagement and make those posts perform better and uplift those channels. And so that's what I've generally done. And then... Once I've got that, then you sort of build that trust. You've got that trust with people and they can see, oh, I took Tim's advice and look how well my comms has done. Look look at this report that's got massive engaging compared to the one last year. And, and, then, and then people, once you've got that trust, they'll actually come to you and say, well, Tim, how, how do you think we should do this one? Or, or, you know, should we do this a bit differently or should we try something here? Evidence of engagement. Elevation of trust equals better comms and better outcomes for the community. It's a great idea. But in the real world, reality can come to bite us all too often. 
I think um, a lot of are trying to battle through and do as much as they possibly can, but with very few frameworks that are sitting around that about how to prioritise or you know, what goes onto which channels, what content works well. And it's, you know, I've worked in-house, I know, I know what it's like. It's, you know, sometimes you're just keeping up. You know, yeah. you're just getting through day-to-day -day and trying to, you know, get the next well, thing over People come line. in with an order, don't they? Yeah. Rather than like, a problem. You know, I want a podcast or I want yeah. a webinar as opposed to... need a video. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> needs a video these days. But that's yeah. the issue, isn't it? Is it, is it it's, it's preordained that this is what is going to happen. Now, yeah. it may, or may not be the right thing, but... It's reality. But reality can change. Let's wrap up this clip show with some random thoughts about how we can improve and how we can think more creatively, more imaginatively and more effectively about the practice of government communications. In order of pontification, we have Melinda Maddox, Tim Price, and we finish with the voice of Stephanie Speck. There's nothing as valuable as a new person in an organisation, doesn't matter what level they are, because they come in, it's like being in a, a new country with all your senses alive. They come in and they notice everything. Mm -hmm. um, and they kind of bring a naivety almost. And, and when we've been there a little while, we become part of the furniture. So we just kind of accept things. You know, we are, we adapt, we're very adaptive creatures, human beings. So we just accept things as they are. And we don't question them anymore. But the, the new people question them. And then you can learn from them and you can teach yourself to keep questioning and keep turning up with fresh eyes, which is really important for any, any organisation. I think that kind of authentic communication resonates with people. If it's kind of this sort of off-distant sort of government department um, that people can't connect with, it's very hard to build that community. Um, but if you tell personal stories which tell that larger narrative of what is going on, what are the outcomes, what are the things that affect people in their day-to-day -day lives, that's when you create that connection and you can kind of build that community up. So you can write all the strategies you like, but in this day and age, if you also can't produce your own content to activate that strategy on the ground, you've got a great idea and no legs. So I think we have to start looking at government communication departments as an entirety. Now, that doesn't mean that necessarily everything has to be in-house and you've got all your own production teams. It might mean sensible partnerships with agencies who can do it, you know, better, cheaper, um, and at a scale you can't do with, with two people in a production department. So I think strategy and content. Every department now has to be a content producer because that's what people are accessing to make decisions. So there you go, just some of the wonderful insights that we've had from our guests here on the GovComs podcast in 2022. What a year. It started with COVID, we moved through COVID, and in some ways COVID seems to be, at least here in our little corner of the world here in Canberra, Australia, it may be coming back in some way, but we seem to be behaving and acting differently. But what it has done is to change so much of the way we behave, the way we engage with each other, the way we listen uh, to messages from government and the way we speak back to government and government departments about what uh, they are telling us. So the change has taken place. We have had an acceleration, but where to from here? That is the big question. And my big focus, I think, for next year is really going to be about building capability in government so they're better able 
to take advantage of the gift of digital technology because as it relates to communication, we are now in the media business, whether we like it or not. Digital transformation has enabled government agencies and departments to have that gift of that ability to be able to create and curate uh, uh, and distribute useful, relevant and consistent uh, content to engage with specific audiences in order to achieve desired outcomes. So that is the opportunity, that is the practice, that is the muscle uh, that government is going to have to get better at doing. And it's going to have to be able to do it not only well, but it's going to have to do it much faster as the demands of citizens and stakeholders for government action uh, grow even greater. And again, that is perhaps one of the dividends of COVID where the expectation around government grows ever more. So that's it for this episode of GovComs. Of course, you can go back in the archives and play the individual podcasts featuring those who you've heard today and also the many, many others who have been very grateful that they've been able to come uh, onto the program as we enter. I think it's now our ninth year uh, as the GovComs podcast. It started as In Transition. It is now GovComs, and I think we're sort of touching in around the 400 episodes. So certainly going back through the archives, there are plenty of talented people to listen to and to learn from. My name's David Pembroke, and I would like to thank our showrunner, Olivia Casamento, the clip whisperer and script editor, Andrew Bell, and of course, our technical director, Ben Curry, who really helps to put the program together each week. And without those people, this show would not happen. So a big thanks to them. And to you, the audience, we have grown GovComs substantially under the leadership of Olivia Casamento this year. So it's great to see so many of you tuning in so regularly. And please, a like, a share, a review helps us to be discovered as we continue to work through uh, the examination of this all-important practice because, again, we return to the figures of the Edelman Trust Barometer, which show that in Australia, uh, 52% of people, only 52% of people trust government institutes uh, uh, institutions. And a similar figure uh, that the OECD has done and also the Reuters Institute. So we have a challenge around trust in democracy and more effective communication can help to be an antidote uh, for that lack of trust. So if we can become better and more effective in our communication and our explanation and our listening, we can build trust and we can strengthen democracy, which is why we do this program every fortnight. So thank you. Thank you to the audience. Thanks to the team. And thanks to everyone. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. 